1: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing, I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. Guys, we have uh, a lot to talk about this week, Uh, we're going to shift away from all the on field stuff, Uh, we're going to turn our focus to the MLB draft which uh, starts on Sunday night I believe uh, they're tying that in with the uh, All-Star break now. I believe coverage starts Sunday night at 7 o'clock on MLB Network. Um, We have a couple of guests coming in. Of course, this week, uh, the Mets took two or three from the first-place Milwaukee Brewers. Extremely encouraging to see. Uh, Jacob deGrom, you know, while still, um, I guess, you know, uh, showing his uh, human side, I guess you could say. Uh, still you know just doing outstanding things you know going seven innings with two earned runs striking out 10 uh you know it may seem pedestrian for for jacob de 2021 but you know hold that candle to just about you know, any other pitcher and it's a, uh you know that that's a a sun or a star um yeah, it's, um, you know, things are coming together. The roster's starting to, well, pretty much all the way uh, healthy. J.D. Davis, um, I guess they were hoping to have him back by the weekend. Looks like he might be um, just working in the minors through the all-star break. We'll see how that goes. Uh, saw Jeff McNeil kind of come around after a very slow start on Wednesday in Game 1. Went two for four with two RBIs, including a walk-off uh, single to score, score those two. We talked on Thursday at the Apple about Michael Conforto, who's you know he came off the IL just two days after McNeil, but has had um, a, a very a much tougher time <laughs> uh, reacclimating himself to the uh, to MLB game speed. And again, talked about it at the Apple. Um, his underlying metrics are, are showing progress. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard, just as McNeil was for the last few weeks, well above career averages as far as hard hit hard hit percentage, excuse me. And, uh, you know, usually that's a precursor for, uh, for good things happening. Hopefully saw Jeff McNeil kind of break out of it on Wednesday. And, you know, if I were to put money on it, I'd say Michael Conforto's right around the corner. But we shall see. The Mets have uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates coming in for four I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon. Uh, there's rain in the forecast this evening. There's also rain in the forecast on Friday. So we'll see uh, how many games the Mets get played between uh, now and Saturday. But it could be a very eventful weekend before the, uh, before the All-Star break. We will be back on Sunday just with a quick first half kind of wrap-up. Um, again, we're going to uh, jump right in today and talk with Vinny Massana from Access Baseball Long Island. it's going to give us a little, um, I guess, insight into any, I guess, potential draftees uh, from the Long Island, you know, New York metro area, uh, as well as um, what's going on out east in the Hamptons League. And then after that, we're going to have uh, our friends Steven and Ray come back and uh, discuss, I guess, the Mets targets heading into... uh, heading into the draft, you know, they certainly have a lot of work to do. There's back to 20 rounds this year, which isn't like it used to be, but it's, it's better than five. Uh, so, you know, the Mets will have the opportunity to kind of fill some holes and, you know, they'll fill us in with, uh, with what's coming after that with, uh, I guess, as far as approaches that might be taken, possibly players that might be on the, uh, on the old big whiteboard there, or even, you know, I know both Steven and Ray have, uh, intricate knowledge of the uh the high school and college games college specifically so uh we might even see um uh i guess hear about some under the radar just i guess could be stars that uh could fall into the hands of other teams but hang tight we're going to uh go ahead and get into all that and uh yeah we'll be right back All right, guys, we are back with Vinny Massana of Access Baseball. You guys might have seen him on Twitter. He's very much plugged into the uh I guess the local amateur baseball uh I guess scene. Uh Vin, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Um, definitely want to ask you a little bit about the uh the local talent and um and I guess with the draft coming up, kinda how that all ties in. How's it going, man?
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. I mean, busy time of the year right now with the late start to the season. It kind of made everything condensed, but um, you know, just just different more than anything. I mean, last year it was it was bizarre because you know you went from middle of March going out every day, and then th- it was taken away. So I don't think anybody's going to complain, but it was just definitely an adjustment having to a lot more on your plate in a short a shortened period of time.
1: Well, I, I was going to ask. I mean, with everything that's been going on over the last eighteen months, I mean, you spend pretty much all your time showcasing high school and collegiate ball players. Um, yeah, how's everything kind of affected that process for you?
2: Um, yeah, so in the immediate aftermath, it was a tremendous change not being able to to have live games to go to. So I think everybody was. Um, just nervous over what, you know, what the the state of baseball is going to be like when they were going to be able to resume games. Uh, So after they canceled the college season, um, that was a major concern. The good news is that a lot of the local leagues. uh, So out here on Long Island, you have the boys of summer is a big one. Um, That's really like 12 to 18 years old. And then they have uh, the Hamptons league, which unfortunately they were not able to uh, get a season last year, but that's because they have players from all over the country so housing was the issue but uh so after they got canceled one of the local companies blue chip prospects they actually kind of stepped in and filled that void where they got all the local college players to play in a league so that actually occupied some of my time i covered a lot of those games they played um you know high schools and baseball heaven and local field so that was good at least for people like myself to get out see live games and to evaluate kids because that was a big question mark was how players were going to look after not seeing live pitching uh for such a long period of time um but i think a lot of the kids that do play high level they're self-motivated enough where they kind of found avenues you know to, to stay sharp whether it be in their backyard or at, at an elementary school field with their friends so it was not ideal but guys definitely found a way to um to stay sharp and then definitely once once the calendar flipped and I think they get the green light to play high school and college sports it was full steam ahead so as far as the evaluation process it was uh, back to normal I would say um you know during the college season
1: now you've been covering the Hamptons summer league is all is of course back in back in effect this season. I actually yeah. have my my buddy's friend is playing out there at the um the Sag Harbor oh. Whalers.
2: Oh, awesome! Yeah, that's cool.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, he, they're they're all they're very excited. But um, now seeing the college players, who of course I, I assume have the same level of dedication, where like you were saying with the with the high level um youth players that you know they 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 find ways to kind of. Keep themselves in, in game shape or as close as possible to it. Um, seeing these college players who just recently did have, you know, a season for the most part. Um, now they're, you know, trying to get, I guess, even more exposure. Uh, are you are you starting to see that that I guess optimal level of play again?
2: Yeah, I think so. I don't think there's any. Um, any indication that there's like a, a lagging effect from from the downtime at this point, you know? And, and the Hamptons League, they play every day. That's kind of the beauty of their season. It's like a forty—I think it's a forty-game season a thirty-game season in forty days. So, got uh, you know. So I know they're always kind of guys getting hurt, just but. Um, both playing at their optimal level, that kind of benefits them is, you know, they're seeing, they're seeing live pitching every every uh, day. And then um, they ended early because a lot of the players are from out of state. They have early report times with maybe the first week of August, as opposed to like the third week where you'll see schools like Stony Brook and Austria. Um, You know, that's, that's usually when they report on Long Island, but so they have to end it early because I want to get the, the championship season in. Um, so it's, it's actually good for me. I mean, it, it because it doesn't all end at the same time. So you got one league that's kind of a little bit earlier, the Cape Cod League, which I've actually never experienced, but I know that it's big time. Uh, they they end a week later. So some of the kids will actually play uh, in – they can play in the championship in the, in the Hamptons League and actually get picked up by a Cape Cod League, which is pretty cool. I would like to get to see what uh, – experience at Cape Cod League just from what I've heard about it, you know, best best players in the country.
1: Right. And then the scouts, I guess, kind of follow that kind of schedule as well, right? Like they'll, they'll just follow one championship week to another and then, uh, report back with all their, their fresh info on whether it's next year's, uh, draft class or, you know, especially this year, I guess now they're kind of, like you said, condensing it all. You have, uh, the MLB draft starts on Sunday. Um, yeah, back up to 20 rounds. Um, I guess uh, with an eye on the local area, I know. Are you just focused on Long Island or is it kind of the metro area in general?
2: I'm really just Long Island, but uh, since it kind of intersects, you know, with the interests of my company. So like from a scouting perspective, I'm just looking at the Long Island based guys, but like, you know, we cover St. John's as well and Fordham. And, you know, those are two of the players that I was going to mention. I mean, uh, as it pertains to, The local teams, I know this is a Mets podcast, but definitely the Yankees surely know about the two pitches I was going to mention. Um, you know, from Fordham and St. John's. Matt McCulski is is a guy that I think people will be familiar with um soon, if if not already. He was probably one of the best left-handed pitchers in the country this year. He he won all you know any award that you can get, right up to uh you know all American. He was he was named to pretty much everything. So it's kind of rare that you see uh, somebody from the Northeast uh, having their their name, you know, mentioned among players all over the country. Um, it's happened over the years, but it is it is rare. Um, you know, Maine had another kid, actually, Nick Sinekora. He, uh, <clears throat> he was like right up there with Kumar Rocker for strikeouts with 139. But Mikulski was a little bit lower than that. So he's a lefty um, from from upstate area. Uh, 9-0 record, 1.45 ERA, 124 strikeouts. Um, scouts were at every single one of his outings. That's why, you know, when when they had the no attendance rule, Fordham actually had to make an exception for the scouts because they were not about to turn away scouts for a potential first-round pick. So they kind of had their own little system set up where they had the gate lock, but they had a Google uh, Excel sheet spread up for the scouts to, to fill it up. So um, I watched him once, I mean, I watched videos online of him. He He's exactly what you would want. He's, you know, throws strikes. He's mid to upper 90s, touches 100 miles an hour, um, you know, sit, sits in the mid 90s for the most part. But basically, went a complete game every time out. Nobody really touched him. I mean, it would be organizational malpractice for the Yankees and the Mets not to be in on him. And just the way, you know, where the, where the draft picks are this year, you know, the Mets at 10, I think. I don't think you'll see them take him in the first round because it's a little bit a little bit high just based on the, the mock drafts that I've seen. But yeah. Keith Law actually put out uh his mock draft last week and had him uh, him going to the Yankees. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, I definitely wouldn't want to see a local kid go, you know, lose him to the to the opposite team. So I'm sure it's going to be in the Mets, the back of the, the Mets front, front office's mind because surely they know about him. Um, and then actually closer, you know, closer to to City Field is St. John's and Fordham, and you got Nick Mondack. He's another lefty. He had a 1.92 ERA this year. He was the ace of um, of the Johnnies, and I think you know he's not a first round pick, but that's another, another name that you might see from the collegiate ranks that they, that they might target because um, he was another one. Every one of his outings, there were, there were scouts there.
1: Now, as far as the high school, I guess, atmosphere mm-hmm. are more eyes on, well, I guess this year might've been a little bit different, but in general are more mm-hmm. eyes on, on high school fields, or are they on travel fields?
2: It's a good question. Overall, um, High school i just i think there's more interest in that uh from, from the travel games i mean if you're looking at like your garden variety travel league game on a on a wednesday night it's probably just going to be the parents but um you know you have these big tournaments like in east Cobb, georgia uh the wwba where there'll be a hundred and you know 150 schools there uh, another big one is <clears throat> in fort myers they have the the uh, national championship that's at the end of october there's usually you know 100 plus schools there so You know, really the high-end schools, they only go to, like, particular events where they know it's going to be players that they're looking for. So, I mean, if you're a player from the Northeast, a travel player, it doesn't matter if you're in 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, like, it's good to get those experiences, but, you know, it's not necessarily worth your time if you're going there to to get seen by Vanderbilt. I don't know if they're looking necessarily for um, a Northeast player. There's just not as much there's not as much quality here as, as the guys in the South, as we know. So um, yes, to to answer the question though, there's more interest in the high school from like audience perspective, like my audience, but when it comes to uh, where you are going to see the scouts and the division one coaches, it's usually at those like select events.
1: Yeah. Now I Mm -hmm. guess that kind of leads me right into my next question. You're Mm -hmm. pretty well plugged into the, I guess the, 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 travel team youth academy sort of I guess that sort of world um, mm-hmm. being being as it may as it is I should say that you know Long Island or, or just even the the metro area in general um, it, it isn't what you would call a hotbed for baseball talent just you know the, mm-hmm. the weather itself is enough of a, of a disadvantage it got, you know kids unless they have the means um, yeah. to latch on with, a, with one of these you know nationwide or, or even region wide um, travel teams you know For people who might not have that ability, is there, are there other ways to, or you just have to be head and shoulders that much better than
2: the next guy to kind of get noticed? Um, Well, I mean, I think the way to really cut, cut the line, so to speak, is if you have like a school in mind, um, a lot of times the easiest way is just to simply contact that coach. Almost every school now has a way to, to make money. They'll have their own camp. Um, so it's like a guaranteed way for you to get in front of that coaching staff. So I usually will recommend that to parents and kids. Like, look, if you don't have, you know, money to go to showcases all the time, or the, a lot of these teams now, they're 3000 plus dollars for the summer. So sure. if you really, yeah, if you really just want to like get the most bang for your buck, um, and you want to go to a Stony Brook or whatever, a Seton hall, we just had a kid commit to there from uh Chaminade High School, I just posted, um, <clears throat> If you just want to like get the most bang for your buck, pick the the top three or four schools, contact those coaches and you can go to their camp and the head coach, the recruiting coordinator, the pitching coach, the hitting coach, they're all going to be there. Whereas if you go to a tournament, maybe one of those guys is there. Most likely it's going to be the volunteer assistant. So that's really kind of like the ugly truth of the fact is that you could pay all this money to go to a showcase, be on a travel team, and you might not even get seen by the person that that makes the decisions. Um, So that you know, that would be like the way to cut, cut the line. Obviously yeah. there's advantages to playing on travel teams. You know, you're still gonna uh, develop a sense of team chemistry, develop your skills, you know, just, I don't know, getting out of the house. Like it could be as simple as that. Like there's advantage to just developing a game, but if money is an issue and we know that baseball is very um, it's discriminatory in the, in the regard that you don't see a lot of people from the lower income communities. Um, it's just, it's a sad truth. You know, they, it's very specific to kind of how you grew up, who your parents are. And uh, as you see, a lot of the, the players that do make it from the United States, you know, they do tend to come from uh, privileged families. So that that's the, um, I think that's the, the ugly truth to the, to the game of baseball on the amateur side.
1: Yeah, but it's so cool that there's a, a way, or, you know, I don't want to say a way around it, but, you know, if, mm-hmm. if if a young player who might not have the means to, to take the, well, now traditional way to, to getting eyes on him if he's a talented player or, or her, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is, goes, goes all ways as far as gender now. But, oh, it's, yeah. but it, you know, if – I guess the opportunities are, are, are still there, and that that's encouraging. Quick shout-out mm-hmm. to baseball generations. Um, <laughs> you guys might have seen Dom Smith's involved with these guys. It's a league-wide thing. But they're trying yeah. to kind of give low-income – areas the the opportunities that really haven't been afforded to them and trying to actually work out some things with them now hopefully keep an eye out in the future hopefully we'll have some stuff popping
2: with them but um they did a yeah. home run derby i think right i'm sorry i think i saw on their instagram they did a, a home run derby and they did like a yeah. great job with the content um and it really popped like obviously it's it was a good good event for the kids i'm sure but it looked even cool if you weren't there just to see how they you know, how they edit it and whatnot. I would like to do something like that.
1: Yeah, no, I, we, we were speaking and, and, I you know, I had an idea and I was talking to my buddy, Chris Simon, who's, who's involved with them and, and yeah, we're, we're trying to get something going I guess more centralized on the New York side. So if that, uh, if that comes to fruition, I will definitely be in touch.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And also there was a couple of the high school players that I want oh, yeah, to mention please. That, please
1: yeah. all ears on that end.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, there's always a couple of kids from our area that get drafted. I mean, everybody always tends to mention Strowman and, uh, and Matt's because those are the ones that are, I would guess, the most visible. Um, but, you know, we actually have, you know, probably what seven or eight Long Island natives that are in the major leagues right now that people don't really, you know, give that much attention to. Like Anthony Kay, you know, Colmer Met we know about. Um, Nick piano is actually on the Mets. He went to uh, West Islip. Right. Um, <clears throat> so every year there's usually a couple of kids that get drafted. And right now there's – it's actually pretty impressive because I don't know if there's ever been two pitchers, let alone three, that are active right now in, in – uh, that are high school – that just graduated high school that have a chance to get drafted. So they just had that MLB combine. And they only invited 80 high school players. So it was the best 80 in the country, two of them. We're local kids, so um, uh, Rafe Schlesinger, R-A-F-A Schlesinger, he goes to uh, St. Jameis High School. He is about six foot three, lefty, and he's a low – sits in the low 90s. You know, I've seen him as high as 94. He was at the area coach triads last year. Um, probably that was more of an adrenaline rush, I would say, because he's thrown in front of scouts, and it was hot out in, in July. But um, sits in the low 90s. He just won the Paul Gibson Award, which goes to the top. High school pitcher on Long Island in Suffolk County, rather. Uh, But if they wanted to extend that to to Nassau, he probably would have got it too because he pitches against the best competition, which is League One, you know, the the largest high schools, the, the Comacs and Pat Meds. And, um, hold on one second. Sorry. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, he had a sub one ERA and struck out two guys per inning. Um, he, he had very tough luck. He basically had the, Jacob DeGrom uh, luck from, you know, pre-2021, where he unless he threw a no-hitter, he, he would he would get tagged with a loss. And he actually threw a a, seven, a six-inning no-hitter, came out because of the pitch count, and then he lost on a sacrifice fly, uh, oh. on a t- his team lost on a sacrifice fly. So just to give you, you know, an idea of how the, the win stat is misleading, of course. That's a game that he got tagged with uh, I don't know if you got the loss of the no decision but he struck out 17 gave up no hits in six innings and didn't get the win so um, that's a kid that has been getting a lot of attention re- recently and it's something that I'm excited about because I think the first time I posted a video of him he was in like ninth grade when I was watching him and I was like this kid's good and his pitching coach told me no he's going to be like Chris Sale." Uh, so he's you know, he's got a size 16 foot. So to me, that tells me he's still got some growing. He might even grow a little bit more. I was talking with his father and he's got a six foot seven brother. So there's a chance that um, he, he even might shoot up a couple inches. So he's committed to Miami. And in the event that he doesn't sign, I think we'll be hearing about him again in the future, but definitely has a chance to get drafted if you're invited to that MLB combine. So that's a name to keep in mind, Rafe Schlesinger. And then another one, is uh, Jacob Steinmetz. So he's from Woodmere. Um, they actually canceled his teen's high school season, so mm-hmm. he wasn't going to have a senior season this year. Um, he goes to a very small private school, so um, they had that they had made that decision pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so his father actually sent them to Elevate Academy, which is a private school in um, Boca Raton, Florida, just to play, get some innings in front of scouts, and it was a great idea because – it was always going to be a question, I think, about how he was going to pitch against good competition because his league was uh, inferior. So he went down there, pitched against great competition. Guys were able to see him up close when maybe they wouldn't have if he stayed on Long Island. And he got invited to the combine as well. And he actually touched 97 miles an hour. He's a six foot five pitcher. He's committed to Fordham. Um, and his spin rates is really what got everybody's attention because his curveball spin rate is like over 2,800 on average. So that's something that from a high school kid, that's just heading shoulders above, I think, the yeah, norm.
1: That's, that's, major, that's major league levels.
2: Yeah, and they had him, uh, a perfect game, did a, a top 500 or top 200 ranking or whatever, and they gave him a fourth round grade. So even with the 10, uh, the condensed draft, which is going to be 20 rounds, mm-hmm. um, I still think he's going to go. So, I mean, even if just those two kids go, that would be two probably inside of the top 10. And then there's a third. His name is Tommy Ventimiglia. Um, he's a right-handed pitcher from Longwood High School. And uh, he's he's probably the most high. Kid just uh, sounds,
1: first- he sounds long. <laughs> yes. Uh,
2: Tommy Ventimiglia. <laughs> oh, that's my boy, bro. I'm a big <laughs> fan. I'm a
1: big Tommy Ventimiglia fan.
2: Yep, I think the last name of the time means 20 million. So that's, <laughs> that's just a money list name. He's uh, yeah, he's another one. He's six foot four, righty power pitcher, uh, 90 to 92 for the most part. And actually he got invited to a pre-draft workout at Petco park the other day. And he was pitching in front of AJ Prowler, the Padres GM. So, I mean, that to me, that just tells me that it, it's real. The interest real. They invited, like, I think he told me they invited like four or five pitchers. So not, not very much. So, that's three kids that um, you know not just like late round favors because of who they who they know I mean those are kids that are you know possibly future major leaguers in my opinion. So if I'm the Mets, those are guys they obviously know about all of them um, you know they're not taking more than one. I would imagine they're not just here to help out <laughs> help out access baseball but um, you know I'm hoping from my perspective that you know they get one of them. Just because it would be a good look for Long Island, it'd be a good look for me, kids that I've tried my best to promote, and I think it would be good for the organization to have uh, high, high quality kids and you know potential impact players in the future. So we don't really have too much position players. That's definitely the one knock on on Long Island. We very rarely develop legitimate. Uh, major leaguers. Frank Catalanotto was probably one of the last ones, and I'm not sure he just got uh, announced as an officer coach yesterday. And that's right. you know, he 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 retired ten years ago at the Mets. So that's where we got to step it up. But I mean, we definitely, in terms of arms, we are uh, you know right up there with any state. I would say you could you know go ahead for California, Texas, and Florida. There, I don't know how many for for the size of Long Island. Like, I think it's pretty impressive.
1: Oh, for sure. And like you were saying, I mean, if any one of those three guys, or, you know, uh, you know, God willing, all three of them get drafted. That's just Mm -hmm. such a huge step forward for Long Island, you know. Um, Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit older. I'm 37. So you know, I was in junior, I was playing junior high ball when Billy Koch was in West Babylon high school. And, you know, that mm-hmm. was huge. And that kind of spurred a whole generation. And, you know, down the road, a few years or a few years later, you have your Marcus Stroman's and your Stephen Matz's and that spurred a whole mm-hmm. generation. You know, it's kind yeah. of a cycle. You just love to
2: see it, but yeah, I yeah, went to, uh, oh, I was just going to say, Koch went to Clemson from West Babylon, right? That's a very big jump. <laughs> oh, I mean, D one big
1: school. He he made very big waves in the uh, in the Olympics in '96, and then mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, took a 99 mile per hour mile per hour fastball in high school and went went to the pros, and he had a very nice career.
2: Yep, another good luck for Long Island. Oh yeah, but
1: Vinny, mm-hmm. this has been um, this has been great, man. Uh, where can everybody find you on social media?
2: Thank you, Tim. Um, so that. Access uh Twitter is at A X C E S S baseball, all one word, and on Instagram, which is probably our biggest platform, I would say, is uh there's just an underscore in between that. So at access underscore baseball.
1: Excellent, man. And uh what's on the docket for you guys this summer? I know are you gonna try and get over to Cape Cod?
2: Yeah, you know what? I'm actually talking about it with my wife. We might go um, and, and just kind of make like a weekend trip out of it. Cause the season's going to be canceled by the time we're, we're going to go. So I kind of just wanted to take a look at the fields and whatnot. I would definitely like to go um, and catch like a, a bunch of games for a trip, but I don't think I'm going to be able to get there anytime soon. But um, another, another thing I was going to do is go to the field of dreams, which uh, that's always been a bucket list thing of mine is just walking on the, on the movie site, obviously nothing to do with, scouting or you know uh getting or or helping kids but to me it's just something that i always wanted to do so i said you know what (laughs) let's book (laughs) it oh yeah i'm
1: long overdue for a trip back to cooperstown myself i have a couple of things on my on my list this summer too but oh yeah thank you uh thank you so much for coming on um my pleasure we will be uh we'll certainly be checking back with you once uh once i guess the spring seasons roll back around next year and uh Certainly, uh, we want to hear about any up-and-comers as they, as they pop up, please. Sounds good. My pleasure. Thank you, Tim. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon.
3: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
1: All right, everybody. That was Vinny Massana from Access Baseball. Again, check him out on Instagram, Twitter. Check out the website. And again, that's A-X-C-E-S-S Baseball. Long Island, high school coverage, collegiate coverage. uh, Really a lot of up and coming, very, very good ball players there. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsors, come back and talk to Stephen and Ray about the uh, Mets upcoming draft approach. Hang tight. Count it off. All right. Three, two. Welcome back. Uh, as promised, we are here with two very good friends returning to the show. Stephen Josiah, Roberto Correa guys. Um, it is draft season. This is uh, in, in your casino as they say. And, and, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, you, I know. I'm I'm mostly in the dark when it comes to draft season. I know the big names, but that's about it. I do know the Mets have some holes, and I know you guys have a uh, an extremely good grasp on uh, on what the uh, I guess the upcoming next few days or starting Sunday, I should say, are going to are going to entail. So, gentlemen, welcome back to the show. And uh, what's happening?
3: Oh, thanks for having us back. I feel like it's like since we last spoke, I've just been sitting at a desk waiting for the draft to happen. So now that the draft draft week is here, I can finally we just, do something. We've just
0: been marking days off the
3: calendar. Just crossing Scratch, them off.
0: Yep. <laughs> scratching ones into the wall.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> so guys, the Mets, um, you know, as
1: far, you can look past the, the bigger names in the Mets system. You could even look past some of the more unpolished gems. You might call them. Uh, on, you know, on an overall basis, the Mets system is somewhat barren. You, uh, this is going to be, especially with the expanded back into 20 rounds, um, this is going to be, I guess, a time for the Mets to replenish. Are there any specific target areas? Roberto, I will start with you, my friend.
0: Um, well, when it comes to the draft, and I think this is something that we we typically agree on, is just that, you never draft for need. You're always kind of going for the best player on the board. Um, and particularly because if you have a player of higher value through the draft, then you can fill whatever need you have through whatever developed players that you build up in your organization. So um, I'm kind of looking at this away from need, unless there, there are players that the only caveat in my, um, in my sight is if you have, guys who have very similar projected outcomes despite the fact that they're different different positions so if you expect this guy's going to be able to provide as much value as this guy so you're looking at not just future value the way the scouts tend to look at it but sometimes guys look into potential future war as well um so if you're working in the same area then yeah kind of go for the need but i think mets are typically uh a best player available kind of
3: team. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is something that more fans should know because a lot of sports fans follow the NBA and NFL draft. If you're a fan of those leagues, because those players typically help right away, they get to be plugged right in um, or, or maybe sit for a year behind somebody, but, but the presence is felt pretty soon. And also w- with football and basketball uh, you, you can build around those players especially when it comes to quarterbacks in the NFL or or you're being one of five guys on the court at any one time in basketball, the presence is a little bit more immediate, uh, certainly more immediate and it's it's felt a little bit more in those sports with baseball. It's, it's not, and you have to wait a lot longer and a lot can change in an organization in the time where you're waiting for those prospects to develop. And then as you know, also in baseball injuries and changes in performance and trades uh, and leaving for free agency happens all the time. So, yeah, like Ray said, you you take the best player available, and if you have a log jam down the road, you deal with that when it comes. I mean, the Mets might be looking at one at third base right now with their with their system as it is. Um, so, like, best best prospect in the Mets system is Francisco Alvarez. Would that keep the Mets from drafting Henry Davis if he's on the board at 10? Um, uh, spoiler alert, he's not going to be available at 10. He's the best college hitter in – in, in the country right now happens to be a catcher. But if you were, yeah, you're taking Henry Davis. Yeah. You 100% do that. You don't worry about position. you deal with that later because a lot changes both with that individual prospect as well as the team and organization in the years that they're taking to to develop. So 100% draft best player available. I think the one thing I would will add on to what Ray said is that um, if you have two prospects of very, very similar, grades, then maybe take the one who's a little bit closer to so the bigs for a team like the Mets who are are in an open window of competition right now. So if you have, let's say, a, a future value 50 player uh, on the board, take the college guy instead of the high school guy. Smaller range of outcomes, quicker to the big leagues. That's the only th- thing I think might be a, a tiebreaker for the Mets because like, hey, we're winning now. A college guy could help us in two years. High school guy might be four or five out. Let's take the guy who can help us in 2024 instead of 2026.
0: Kind of the closest, the last time that we did something like that, I would think, kind of would be um, the Conforto draft, wouldn't you say? Because, like, he was I, a quick riser as well. Yeah, That's and, and nice. yeah, oh, it, I, you,
3: you don't really know. I mean, you don't really know if Conforto was number one or number two on the their big board, and you know, so like every team has their own big board. They don't care what Jonathan Mayo says. They don't care what Ben Badler says. They don't care what Keith Law says. They've done their scouting, their analysis, they've crunched numbers, they've seen these guys, and they will make a list one to how many ever hundred long. And uh, it, I would be shocked if if I heard that Jerry Kelnick wasn't maybe number one or number two on that big board that they have. The fact that they were able to draft him at six and get him from an, a million under slot is it was just really good fortune for the Mets that year. Um, But I know they thought extremely highly of him. So yeah, Conforto, it it might've been if they had a a tiebreaker with him and another player, or it might just been that they saw him as the best college bat in that draft or the best bat in that draft. And they just took him because he, they saw him as a gift there. I actually like that the Mets (laughs) kind of do things this way because uh, they are good at it. And yeah. So it, it could have been though. They could have taken him over. I, I forget who else was, uh, who who the good high school talent was in that draft. But it could have been one of those coin toss things because the Mets were were good at the time and trying to stay good.
1: Now, without the, I guess the general, I, I, I should say, without the, with the lack of depth in the upper levels of the Mets minor league system, do you think they have a in the same vein as Gafford or a more, uh, I guess, a focus on the college players opposed to the high school?
3: Uh, no, again, because I, I think that this regime tries to get the best talent that they can. I think maybe the more uh, the better answer to that question is the fact that there's just better college talent in the area of the draft that the Mets are picking at 10 mm. than there is high school. The high school ranks, it, it might not be that the talent isn't as good. It, it might also just be under exposure. We had one entire year missed to COVID, a delayed start this year. There just hasn't been a lot of gameplay. So there, there might just be not be as much knowledge about the high school players, or it, it, but it's also a weaker class. And I think much of the talent in the top 15 picks or so is in the college ranks. I think you're going to see more college players go in the first half of the first round than high school.
0: Just another thing I, I wanted to mention as regards to, to the med staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may not happen through the draft this year, but um, I wanted to point out that, you know, the CBA is up at the end of the year and it's kind of been taken as it's going to happen that people are going to be able to trade draft picks after this year and that it's possible that it'll be in the next CBA. And that's going to change the landscape of how teams provide for their immediate depth. Now. I mean, it's kind of an unknown at the moment because we don't know how, how uh, GMs are going to look at draft uh, draft pick trading um, after this, but it's going to, it's kind of going to open up the floodgates in a sense and because um, there's going to be teams who, well, I, I don't want to like point anyone out, but maybe the pirates <laughs> who, who don't want to sign the, the, the big bonus guy, or they, they feel mm-hmm. they can go under slot and they might have a number one or number two pick, but they know that they could get their guy at number five or number six on the board. So that's just one thing to think about. So
3: yeah, um, it, it's so funny you bring that up because the the change under the CBA to give those bonus slots and and penalties for going over bonus was was supposed to make it more fair. It was supposed to make uh, richer teams less able to just buy out draft prospects. And you know, it this, it really, it, it, at least from the way I see this, it didn't work. Rich teams are still going to spend money in the international uh, world as well as the, uh, just, just free agency in general. So I, I never really liked that. If you want to invest in the draft and spend a bunch of money there, I think you should be able to uh, but I love the idea of trading draft picks just because this is like this is what we think about all the time right is how much is a yeah. is a 17 18 year old prospect worth to an organization especially with the range of outcomes that someone like that can have and here let me throw this out for you cuz I I wasn't expecting to talk about this but I'm I've just been super curious about this the mets have picked 10 i think everybody in the mets organization would love to draft jack lighter son of, of of course of mets great Outlider. and it would be really cool to see his son in orange and blue, but you probably would have to pick almost certainly would have to trade picks with Texas at number two. So you'd be moving up 10 to two to get him. What would you have to give up to move up eight spots in a draft for a player who might not even make the big leagues? Again, I just want to remind folks listening roughly one third of first round draft picks do not even make the big leagues. I'm not talking about being good. I'm talking about set foot in a major league stadium, All right. So technically, Gavin Shakini, the worst Mets first-round draft pick in the past 10 years, was a, was a success. He actually did make the big leagues. Uh, the Mets have had an extraordinary success rate on this uh, under the current regime. But again, the the bust rate is very, very high compared to other sports. So given that, but also given the fact that the Jack Latter is a very, very nice prospect, probably going to be the first pitcher off the board, probably within the first two or three picks. What would you have to give up to, get it, to, to make that trade?
0: See, that, that's a conversation that we still haven't had. And I don't think that um, that conversation is one that has been had, particularly amongst GMs right now, because it's, it's not a realistic possibility at the moment. So th- I don't think there's really any way to know. And then we can speculate on it. I mean, do you have a, a something in mind that, that you would give to, to move up to two for Jack Leiter right now?
3: Well, I, I see four ways that you could, you could trade, you could trade international uh, bonus okay. dollars. You could trade existing prospects. You could trade existing major league players, um, or you could just, Trade uh, just money, right? You could you could buy them out. You could um, also
1: swap picks. You say, oh, you know, you oh, oh, for make sure, that'll that take it. your two and take my second, right? Record. Right,
3: yeah, uh, exactly. So, so I, I, here I'm assuming that we're we're swapping the two and the ten, yeah. Uh, and then and then I would think that you would have if we're talking prospects, I wouldn't ask for a prospect comparable to Jack Letter because again, you're getting that number ten pick back, but probably a lesser one. So if you are maybe a, a kind of back end of the top ten prospect and some international bonus money or something like that. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a really, it, it's an interesting thought experiment. And I'm, if this happens, the first team to make a trade is kind of going to set the market, right. And set the, the standard for what, what you'd have to do to move up in a draft and how they see those picks assigned. So, yeah, I, I would be fascinated by draft pick trading. And I think if, if that happens and it should happen, it's going to be a blast for us fans who kind of live and breathe this stuff.
1: I wouldn't be shocked to see it. Um, I guess uh, maybe limits set on it, whether it be oh you can only move comp picks, or you know you, maybe you can only move one pick within a, a, a within a draft. Yeah, I'm, you know I'm not sure. I, I I have no idea how this would all you know break down. But um, this like you said, there's so much risk involved with it. I'm very curious mm-hmm. how that would uh, how how that would all shake out.
3: I I will say, I think the smart teams will take advantage of it, and the Mets are a smart team. They have been under uh, Tommy Tanis and Mark Tramuda for a while, and I think they're only getting smarter with Steve Cohen as the owner instead of the Wilpon. So if this happens, I would would say that the Mets are one of a handful of organizations that would really be able to optimize it.
1: You got to hope so. Um, As far as, I guess, you know, you guys – I mean, we were talking before you came on the air and you guys got like the whole first round pretty much, you know, at least, you know, there's no predicting down to the T, but you guys have a very good idea of how, how things are, uh, you know, how this cookie is going to crumble. Um, do you see any sort of landscape shifting moves or picks being made, changing the Mets fortune? I'm
0: so glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, um, so I I just mentioned the Pirates a little earlier, and they seem to be a massive wild card in this trap. Uh And um, me and Steven and and, uh, uh, our friend Jordan um, and our other friend Doug over at Mets Miners, we have a little chat where where we kind of discuss these ideas together all the time. And (laughs) we, we can just see the Pirates doing something like taking someone like Henry Davis uh, just right off the board and <laughs> and just throwing off the board for everyone. Because now in, instead of thinking, oh, well, this was our top guy. We didn't expect this dude to be available here. Teams are going to start having to think, oh, wow. Now this is available to us. Do we take this chance here? Or do we stick to the board that we currently have? And <laughs> of course, if it's a jack-lighter for a lot of people, they're, they're going to go with that option. It's like, Suddenly, Jordan Lawler or Mayer, like when the, any of these top five guys becomes available lower on the board, mm-hmm. it, it's going to become an instant pick for a lot of people. It's, it's almost like when you forget to join your fantasy baseball draft in time and, and you get the <laughs> auto pick. <laughs> it's like, no, we're going to make this choice for you, kind of thing. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, Steve. The, you had something to check.
3: This is a very odd draft if you're trying to mock Uh, i've been mocking drafts since 2012 uh there's there usually becomes a time around now for sure that you have a good sense of the top five if not 10 picks in fact one year it it was around that time jonathan Mayo correctly predicted the entire first round which is absolutely unheard of i mean in, in any sport but especially baseball but that it can become fairly predictable especially with you know which teams are holding private workouts for which players and then you can do uh, some some figuring out based on uh, tendencies of these teams this year is just crazy tim it's 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 crazy uh we don't know who pick number one is going to be which the last time I, i can recall that happening i think it was 2017 when there was uh, mackenzie gore uh hunter green i think people thought was going to go at number one and then the twins that en- ended up taking royce lewis but even there there was a pretty set top three i don't think anyone really thought there was going to be anybody outside that there's legitimately six players that the pirates could take at number one they've been tied mostly to marcelo mayor is a, a very very good shortstop out of the high school ranks in california but like Ray said, that's it, Henry Davis has been in that conversation. Both of the Vanderbilt pitchers, Kumar Rocker, although less so now, and Leiter have been in that conversation. Another shortstop out of uh, Jesuit and up, up here in Dallas Is, has been. I mean, he's he was long rumored to go number one overall. Uh, you, you can even make the case that they're going to kind of go off the board and go Khalil Watson, and then use savings from him to go Overslaw elsewhere. It, it's legitimately crazy, and then. It, like Ray was saying, if they do something kind of off the wall, then what happens to pick two, three, four, and and by the time you get to ten, it could be crazy. So yeah, we we have a sense of who the major players are going to be on the board at ten, but it might look totally different come Sunday night, which is so fun. But it's also really kind of nerve wracking if you're if you're a draft guy and you're and you've been thinking about this for months and still really have no idea what the top is going to look like.
0: Because we've been discussing, like, well, what happens if, like, they throw off the board and then someone like Kumar
3: Rocker ends up available at 10, you know? Especially with – what's the other team you keep telling me is a wild card, Ray?
0: What, in the first 10?
3: In the first 10, yeah.
0: (sighs) I think think there's kind of a couple because – a couple of years ago, the, the, there was kind of questions around whether Detroit was ever going to draft K, if they were or weren't going to mm-hmm. draft KC Mines. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think that the speculation was 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 as big as it should have been, or I'm sorry, rather the opposite that it was bigger than it should have been. But Kansas City seems like I, I can't I can't really get
3: a pin absolutely. on absolutely yep. what they're trying to do. Hundred percent, like they're they're sitting there at seven. If, if the big six go off the board, then what are they going to do? They could, they could do something. They could reach for Bubba Chandler. Or they could go with uh, Ty Madden or South Relic. Like, there's, and then the other one that you keep talking about is Baltimore, too. It's like, what, what, what is Baltimore doing at five?
0: Oh, that's right.
3: So, yeah, there's, just, there's so many wild cards here. So the best that, that we can do is just just try to generally have a sense of who the top eight or nine are. And and then work from there. So it doesn't really matter what order they go in, as long as as long as those top half dozen or so go in the first nine picks, and we have a pretty decent sense of who's going to be there at ten. So uh, if you don't mind, real quick, I'll just give the the listeners just some sense of what we think is going to happen at the top of the draft, and then we can work from there. So there's there's a number of good. There's four really good high school shortstops that are probably going to be off the board. So mayor, that guy was probably number one Lawler from Dallas Cleo Watson, who I think could end up being the best player in this draft. Just insanely good. He's also only five, nine. You're going to hear that a lot. Cause there's a number of short players in this draft are gonna be pretty good. Yep. Um, and then, and then Brady house, probably more likely a third baseman. He's the one out of the four who could slip. But again, I think those four are going to be off the board. I also think that Jack Leiter certainly is going to be gone. And Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, are going to be gone. Likely, Jackson Joby, uh, who's, who's the best high school pitcher in the country, and Kumar Rocker are also going to be gone. Not 100%, but likely. So that's eight right there. Mm-hmm. After that, I, I think every other player on the board is fair game with the possibility that, that Rocker and maybe Joby are, are there. By the way, is it Jackson Job or Joby? I've I've, I've actually never heard his name pronounced. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I've been this whole time, just because it's funner to say. It's way more fun, yeah. <laughs> um, so so I've seen a couple mocks that have that have now had Rocker slide down to the Mets at ten. If he's there at ten, you take him. You go over slot for him if you have to. I think he's been hyper analyzed with just how much exposure he's got at Vanderbilt. I think he's tired. He's thrown a lot of innings. Um, so, so he's, he, you take him if he's there again, same thing with Joby, even though the Mets haven't drafted a high school pitcher with their first overall pick in a long time, he's that good. But again, I, I, I don't think either of those two will be there. Add those to the four shortstops. And then of course, uh, Henry Davis, the catcher and, and Jack Leiter. And I think, I think that's probably going to be the first eight picks in some order. Then after that, we can start looking at the players left on the board and the ones that we kind of like. Uh, Ray, do you kind of agree with this assessment, or do you, do you see another player that's that's kind of in that top eight, or do you see any of those eight who you no, think might, I'm might kind be of, there?
0: I'm kind of on board with you. Uh, again, the only thing is that I feel like um, depending on on where these guys go, it could throw off uh, some teams' reasoning, and mm-hmm. I, I think in particular uh, this kind of affects us in a certain way because. Let's say for example, um, I don't think you you and I have been talking about Ty Madden a lot lately, but
3: we haven't because I feel like I bring no, we, him up almost no, we every have. day. No, we <laughs> have, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so for the, for those of you who didn't hear the last podcast, this is this is my draft crush. Uh, he's a University of Texas Longhorns pitcher. I've seen him pitch in person twice. I've followed his just his the entire life. career, like, he's he's just awesome. And I would love for the Mets to draft him. And he's also, like, typically around the 10th, 12th ranked player. It's very uh, reasonable to think that the Mets could draft him, and I would just go crazy if, if they did. And I think I talked to Ray pick. about him every day for, like, four months. <laughs> so just, I really feel that if he's available,
0: there's, there's really not much way that the Angels aren't taking him at nine. Right. I mean, I guess there's a couple of outcomes in which they don't, but it just really feels like an Angels pick right now. It does.
3: It yeah. really does. It also kind of feels like a Royals pick, which is what you, when you said they're wild card. I'm like 100 because that's he's he's that Brady Singer mold. Like I, I could I could see them taking him at seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could also see the the Rockies taking him because he's a ground ball college pitcher. They love ground ball college pitchers playing yeah. in cores. Uh, he is the 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 premier definitive ground ball pitcher in this draft. So, uh, what's yeah, the he
1: like? What's that? What's the Arsenal like on Ty Madden?
3: Sure. Yeah. He's he's primarily a two pitch pitcher. Uh, he he is a fastball, high octane. Uh, he, he is what you expect a Texas gunslinger to look like. He's six foot three, 215 pounds, very strong. Uh, he, he's been clocked as high as 99. When I, it, it, all of the starts that I've watched on, on television, as well as the two games that I went to in person, he comes out in the first inning pumping in 97, 98, 98. He'll settle into 94, 96 throughout the outing. And then when he, when he feels like he's, he's at his last batter, he's back up to 98. So really good velocity. He keeps his velocity deep into games better than anybody in the draft. So you might hear about some other players like Sam Bachman hitting triple digits, hitting 102, but th- those guys don't keep it deep into starts. Madden has the best velocity late into games of any pitcher in this draft, high school or college. And then he has uh, one of the best sliders in the draft. I think depending on the night, you can make the case that it is the best slider in the draft. It's got, it falls off the table, incredible depth to it. Um, and he throws both of those um, very high three quarters. So he gets a lot of good downward movement on, on his pitches. So uh, a, a typical start for him is <laughs> something like 10 gr- ground ball outs, two fly outs, and 10 strikeouts. You know, that, that, that'll be his night. Uh, So it misses a lot of bats, but his contact is weak and it's on the ground, which is kind of the the concern with Madden. If this were five, uh, certainly 10 years ago, you'd see him in the top five picks in the draft. But scouts these days are looking more for pitchers who work up in the zone, can elevate the fastball, get that flat fastball, and miss the launch angle generation swing. Madden doesn't do that. His ball dives down towards the plate more like Mike Palfrey or recently Casey Mize does uh, in, in like games. Mike
1: Pelfrey that is one way to describe it? I love it,
3: <laughs> sure. I mean, you, you remember how Mike Pelfrey is just, yeah, like, I do, you, I, I do it. And so, then, so Mike Pelfrey was 6'7, Madden's 6'3, but he comes from so, so far over the top that it, it, the ball just dives towards the plate. So, he throws 98 miles an hour that wow. just comes sink, sinking down to the plate. It's very hard to square that up. His, he runs into to trouble when he leaves the ball up in the zone, which again is kind of the opposite of what we see with someone like Jacob DeGrom, right? When he elevates that fastball, you can't catch up to it. It's the opposite with Matt. And when he leaves that ball up because of its movement, it can get into that sweet spot where the, where hitters like it. So uh, he's to, he's a is it comparison to like a Taiwan Walker accurate? Um it's for current Mets more like Marcus Stroman if anything. Um, really just, but but up at 97 98. Correct. Uh, the thing wow. is that Mark, Marcus Stroman has better command and he throws he has a third pitch. Madden has a changeup I, I, saw, I would see him throw it maybe once or twice in a game. It's not a bad pitch. Every time I've seen it, I'd be like, hey, that's kind of nifty, but he doesn't trust it. So you also dude, him
0: throw that get me over curveball a
3: couple of times. Oh, he does, yeah. So he, he has a curveball. I, I only <clears> ever saw him throw it against left-handed ha- hitters. First pitch in the count. It was very sneaky. Like, I'm just going to drop this in right under your hands <laughs> for a college strike. And it worked a lot. I don't expect that to work against pro pitching. So I I could see him either scrapping the curveball and focusing on the change um, or working on that and trying to work it to both sides of the plate against both-handed hitters and maybe scrapping the change. My guess is that whatever organization drafts him is going to try to get that change up good. Because if if he can throw that with some confidence, he's a three-pitch pitcher. He's got probably 65-ish grade on both his fastball and his slider. And the command's not bad. It's not good, but it's not bad either. Uh, and he's had just a very, very good college career. I think he's gotten picked a lot <laughs> like a uh, rocker just because of how much exposure he's gotten, but this is a premier arm. He has ace upside more believably mid rotation and a very small per- percent chance that he's a high octane reliever. If he can't. Develop yeah. I the pitch.
0: so disagree with, with like uh, a lot of the, the reliever potential that people talk about, people think he's just going to be a power reliever sometimes. I, I can't say I agree with that at all. I, I think this guy is going to be—he's going to find that that changeup, or he's going to find um, the occasional curveball to be mm-hmm. able to get into to his repertoire. And just from watching him, and also being pushed to watch him by you know,
3: <laughs> forced <laughs> by your friend. Like, all right,
0: all right, I can't miss the start. Also, by the way, uh, tell me you've seen Time Madden live without telling me you've seen Time Madden live. Oh
3: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's I, I again. I, I don't want to spend too much time on just one player, but it's just I, I very rarely get to watch a player this much here in Texas, and then have my favorite team draft him. It was cool a couple of years ago because Brett Beatty is in Austin. It was an nice Austin high schooler. I didn't get to see him play in person, but was certainly aware of him uh, just being a local kid. So that was cool, and it'd be it'd be neat to see him taken again. And I, Ty Madden would do well in the Mets system. And I want people listening to understand this that you can you can look at players from past drafts and be like, oh, why didn't the Mets take them? Why didn't this team take them? Not every player develops the same way uh, under every organization. There's some organizations that are simply better at dra- drafting and developing pitchers than others. And the Mets are one of those teams. So if, you know, Ty Madden ending up in, in Colorado's organization, Anaheim's organization, I don't think becomes the same pitcher if uh, he ends up in New York's. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's true for for every sort of player with every organization. Yeah, drafting, scouting—that's that's one part. But then those two, three, four, five, sometimes six years that you spend in the minors, that's really when you become the player that you're going to be as a pro. And and that part that part is overlooked by fans a lot. So Ty Madden could be an ace with the Mets. He could also be a number five starter with the Rockies, and it would and the analysis on him would be the same, just different development. Different stadium that you end up playing in, different pitching coaches, that sort of thing. He could also be a bust with the Pirates, right? So the Pirates are notoriously very poor at at drafting and developing pitchers. Uh, yeah, like you he, some great Keller. arms in the system Mitch that Keller's never worked like
1: out. A, Mitch Keller was like an all time like an all time talent, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and then you know they they have him on the fringe of AAA right now because they just can't mm-hmm. get the most out of him.
3: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, Jameson Tyone, Garrett Cole. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, Garrett, Garrett Cole was. Yeah, he he was a good pitcher. He wasn't the three hundred million dollar man uh, until until he left. But. Oh, that's a whole other story. But oh yeah, Spider Tax City.
0: <laughs> Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton. Yeah. Oh my goodness, he he just drafted him, but he, he was early in the organization.
1: Stephen and Ray will be back with us uh, next week do a little recap rundown of the Mets draft, see what they grabbed, see what uh, who we like. And um, yeah, you guys know where to find us. Mets, um, as we know by now, uh, were postponed on Thursday night, still scheduled for Friday with a single admission doubleheader on Saturday starting at 4 p.m. So uh, by Sunday, we'll have plenty of uh, on-field stuff to recap. And uh, once again, thanks for uh, for listening. And sorry about the uh, technical difficulties here, but these things
0: happen. And we'll be back on Sunday. Peace. Yeah.